Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, it's been a little while since I've talked about anything related to um, algorithms, but I did accomplish from Stack Overflow, I, I, I did some research on a question of how to use a LSTM, long short-term memory uh, neural net, to classify five, four types of failures. And uh, and then here's what I did is I, I, I trained the net and then I took random sampling, like a, oh, maybe about 30 or 40 random samplings from this 4 million pool uh, signal with which it had uh, volts, pressure, rotation, and vibration. So four key features. And it had age, but I couldn't really see how it didn't look like age was changing that much. And I didn't do a histogram on it to verify uh, the distribution on age. But just by inspection, it didn't seem like it was changing uh, very much. So I threw age out and then I trained the net and I got about 70% accuracy. So out of in just roughly, well, let's see how much training, maybe three or four hours of training and the network was able to achieve that 70%. And I used an arg max against my, um, my y, y predictions because it's uh, it's doing a softmax at a categorical entropy on the model, and uh, it was getting is getting uh, tell me what the predictions of what type of failure it occurred. So I like that. I like that it could detect that, and and it was getting about 70%. So I have a training now and. I'm looking at those accuracy curves, and I'm looking at the uh, ROC area, um, AUC, area under the curve. I'm trying to figure out if I can reduce down those false negative, false positives, and, and, uh, and get into the true, na true positives and true negatives. And so that's what you use the area under the curve for. And... I probably need to do some analysis for outliers. So look at the distribution, get a confidence band, look at those outlier regions, and then try to determine if they really contribute to the prediction or if they're creating noise. And then if it is creating noise, maybe use a square root algorithm and a logistic uh, logarithm and a square root to reduce the noise or the impact that these outliers might have. Okay, so uh, what I did is I created a, it's a six-feature LS input, so I, I used to look at look behind one, and I noticed that when I was doing look behind three, it was it it was somewhat getting confused, so I I didn't I didn't use the smoothing algorithm known for LSTM to try to predict the, the future or, or predict the classification. I just used the look behind one. And uh, then I used uh, 500 
subunit neuron for the first layer, and then I return sequences. Now, what that return sequences does is that creates your two-dimensional, three-dimensional um, structure, and you can use that three-dimensional structure for um, input. And so I'll talk about that in just a moment. The next layer, I, I put an LSTM with return sequence, and I had it at 50 neurons. And then I did set my dropout at 0.2, and then another layer at 0.2, and then flatten. And then the last thing I did is I used a dense layer with the column count for the target, which would be the, the different four different types of failure. And then I set the, the target, I, I put it in each one of the failure types as a column using get dummies, AD get dummies. Now, once I have that, then um, I've got my model built, and it was about 1.5 million parameters. And that's because each LSTM neuron has a forget gate, a memory gate, and a long-term memory gate. So it has three different gates that the weights can move along. And uh, so once I got that done, then what I did is I have all of the data loaded into a data frame, which is amazing because it's 4 million records, 4.4 million records. But I have that loaded into the data frame and then I slice that data frame so it's not uh, it's not taking up too much memory. I sliced it um, about 15,000, I think it was 15,000 rows at a time. Now what happens is you have to take that data for the X component and you have to convert it to an array and then you reshape, once you got it into array, you reshape that into the rows, the look behind, and the columns. And then you feed that into the fit function. So you fit, feed the X uh, component of that batch. I call it X batch. You'll notice that. And Y batch. And you feed those two component shapes into the fit function, and then it'll train for um, 500 epics. So it's crunching away, and then you'll output a the accuracy curve so you can see, okay, it's learning and it's proving its accuracy. At any point, you can stop it, just make a note where it uh, stopped on which segment, and you, there's a start position, so you just put your value in the start position, and then you can resume. Now, it's saving those weights uh, after each training cycle, so you run 500 epics, and then it'll save the weights to the weight file, and then the, on the next slice, it'll read the, those same weights back into the model and begin training there. So um, the reason I do that is in case I stop my process, I want to be able to restart it and load all the weights back into the network 
so it has the advantage of the previous training cycles. That's also going to be effective if I add new data that I can uh, append to my data set or data lake and then pick up that new data and train on it, train the network on it. So you want a continuous learning uh, design. Okay, and I've previously talked about how I did the prediction. So I randomized a set of integers from uh, the size of, from in the range of the data frame. So it's pulling random uh, index numbers, integers. And then I use the eye location on the data frame to get the X component to, to check my predictions and the Y component. And I do the dummies thing on it and then feed that into my model.prediction. And, and it outputs um, a array of predictions and then I just cycle through the array of predictions and mp.argmax it to find out which one of the classifications um, um, it was. So it's not going to have more than one classification. It's going to be uh, one of four. So that's how I do it. And uh, it's... Um, that's powerful because what I realized in this example is that you have basically a signal. It's watching this signal, and it's almost imperceptible to human being because you, you're looking at the vibration uh, bar chart and looking at the patterns. Difficult to know at what point there was a failure that way. You're looking... Um, and all these different patterns, and I didn't, I couldn't see just by observation. I couldn't predict when a failure was going to occur or why, but the neural net could, and it would, could seventy percent of the time. So that's real powerful. You know, it seems like we should have neural nets in almost everything that's mechanical, because it can learn from anything that it can take sensor readings from. And so, you know, it could be uh, watching your car and listening to the vibration on the car to indicate that uh, it's not running well. Or it could be listening to the vibration on the tires to tell when the tires are out of balance or alignment and need to be corrected. So there's a lot of things that AI could provide for mechanical machinery that's expensive and it could be constantly monitoring that and then on your computer display providing natural language processing conversion of the signal to natural language to explain what's going on. So you hear it a GPT-3 type voice, exactly what could be possibly going wrong. And the system is learning. So it, its neural net is gathering information and it's training its models and it's updating those models 
and uh, you know, at some point, you know, it gathers the information, then it runs through some training cycles. Uh, maybe it's doing this concurrently. That would be interesting if you could create the neural net so it's learning and predicting at the same time. Why does the model have to remain static? But again, you know, you have to do your validation, your testing, and usually you don't want to release out the model unless it's uh, performing well. So if you can get, so it goes through these stages where it, you know, it creates its pipeline, and then when it, it gets satisfactory learn, learning performance, then it releases its internal model for, for use in production. So create the, the mass of pipelines in the equipment through low cost hardware that has high computational capability. You know, it sounds like a dream, but I can actually see this working. Um, and the white reason I can see it working is I could almost do it myself if I learned more about hardware. But you don't really need to know too much about hardware because the um, Manufacturers now are creating these cool interfaces, software interfaces to the hardware, realizing that there will be many developers that will be building software to communicate with uh, hardware. And so they're providing these nice interfaces that allow you to communicate with these small hardware components. Very powerful. And especially if you can incorporate AI because the AI um, algorithms are very sophisticated and they can learn any function. So they can learn these complex rules within the data. They can learn to find the signal in the data and then uh, depending on how the programmer has programmed or the responses to those signal identifications, it may affect uh, the hardware to send a message to a server. It may cause a device to shut down. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of behaviors now that could be connected to the neural net identifying a particular signal. And uh, there's always the edge cases where it doesn't work. Like my son-in-law was telling me, he was driving the semi, and the semi has a radar system on it. And it thought a cattle grid was a solid object, so it wouldn't cross the cattle grid. It, it slammed on the brakes, stopped the vehicle, and then they had to you know, do an override so they could get over that cattle grid but it thought it was a solid object in front of it. Well, the cattle grid was solid. It's a metal object in the middle of the road that you drive over. And, uh, you know, how does it distinguish between, how does the neural net distinguish between a cattle grid on the road and a car in front of it? You know, did it, did it hit at some level of density feature that it said 
it was pretty certain that that was solid and it's not supposed to drive over solid objects, so it stopped. And uh, maybe in its training, the neural net hadn't been trained on cattle grids because how many times do you ride over a cattle grid? Or what if you were riding over a metal bridge? Would it would it think that the metal bridge was solid and it refused to cross the metal bridge? I mean, you know, the neural net had issues. And, uh, you know, it's useful. And it, they're trying to learn and get better. And that's a good thing. But you have to understand that a neural net will never think like you or I because it's really just calculating probabilities. So it's best where it can calculate probability of certain things, labeled objects, and then try to uh, predict the relationships of uh, by probability. So maybe if two things are in close proximity to each other, it means something. You know, like when two people are very close, are they kissing or will they kiss? You know, that's interesting because uh, several years ago, um, there was a neural net that it was trained on the video from Hollywood, watching Hollywood movies, and it got very good at predicting that the when the actor or actresses would kiss. And so way in advance, the confidence factors were going up by body language, gestures in the face, etc. Whatever features it was watching or learning from probabilistic over its training set, that it could figure out that... Um, that a kiss was going to occur. And it was kind of freaky because, sure enough, the actors and actresses did kiss. But it it was, I, it made me wonder what was the neural net picking up on that clued it that the kiss was going to occur. And again, the same thing is true with equipment failure. What was it in the signal that clued the neural net that pro there was a probability or the odds were good that uh, equipment failure was going to occur and what type of equipment failure was it was going to be. All right, I'm at my destination. And uh, 19 minutes of talk time on LSTM, multiple input, multiple output.